Mel Tempest is known as a fitness business influencer, hands-on health club owner, ebook author, and presenter. Mel has known to be controversial, challenges the status quo, and lives outside the square. Her skill set is current on trends, savvy, and in demand. Her primary goal is to get more health club owners moving towards innovation, technology, and social media success. Her own success comes through tough and humble beginnings. Mel Tempest now presents to you the Gym Owners Podcast. More than just the business of fitness. Proudly supported by National Fitness Business Alliance. Well, good afternoon. It's Mel Tempest from the Gym Owners Biz Podcast. And I'm really excited to be back here chatting with Bobby. Now, Bobby is here for part two. We had an amazing podcast a couple of weeks ago. And so today we're going to be talking about a couple of things. So how are you going, Bobby? Good. How are you going, Mel? I'm absolutely awesome. Now, I know that you're hot to trot and you're heading off on holidays today. So let's get our podcast. I am. I know, underway so that we can get some really valuable information across to our gym owners in this podcast. Now, First question up, Bobby, I'm on social media a lot, as you know, and I'm seeing a lot of panic in the voices and in the posts coming from gym owners that have got to the end of the year, they don't know what they're doing, the till's empty, and they're just like, they're, they're pointing the finger at everybody, you know, it's I'm, I'm a member of a group and they're almost coming into the group and saying, guys, guys, you aren't contributing enough information, you know. What are we supposed to be doing? What campaigns are people doing? You know, they need money in the door. They're panicking. 2018 is just what? A week or so away. What's your message to these gym owners? Well, first of all, whenever we're in a tight spot, whenever we're panicking, one of two things happen. I mean, the very definition of panicking is when we underthink and we just go blank. The other side of a fear-based reaction is choking, where we overthink and I I think the big question is, what are you looking for in a response? Are you looking for someone to give you the magic solution? Like, I use this script, or you know what, I ran this campaign, and if you do this, this will save your business this month, and you'll hit budget. Or are the very questions that you're asking the source of the problem? Because look at it this way. If you were not a gym owner, and you were a guest, a prospective member, you were somebody who had apprehension, you probably had some negative or at least some threatening past experiences, what are the things that would put you off and what would you respond to? Would you respond to a sales team or a front desk team or a club that's crushing budget every month? Would you respond to someone who's high-fiving each other after every sale is made? Would that make you feel good about your level of value inside that health club and when people start to panic they just go back to what they know and don't do that i think you know bloomberg just released a report a couple of years ago and it was very similar to what ibm's report revealed back in i think it was around 2014 and they they asked 1700 top level executives across multiple industries and multiple companies what are the critical success factors within the 21st century and the number one answer that came back in the ibm report was innovation now for bloomberg it was a little bit different It was around leadership skills. It was around strategic thinking, creative problem solving, communication skills. 
But Bloomberg, interestingly enough, clumped all four of those skill sets into innovation because they said that those skill sets were non-negotiable if someone's going to be in innovative. So if you're going to be innovative, take a look at what everybody else is doing that's causing panic and don't do that. Common practices are not necessarily synonymous with best practices. And we'll talk a little bit about that today because what we're going to talk about is selling from the member side of the table and just, just flipping our perspective and mindset, not around what we need to do and what our targets are, but allowing ourselves to arrive at that destination by indirectly focusing on what the guest's critical issues are. All right, Bobby, so let's go from there into um, the sales side of it. Now, as I just discussed with you before the podcast, some clubs have a team that's multitask. They work the front desk and they work the gym floor, and some clubs are privy to having sales teams. So let's try and get the solutions to both sides of that. Going into a club, I'm greeted at the front desk. Is the tour obsolete? And in the closing, how can we get people to ask for the dollars and cents? Go. Okay, well, those are a lot of questions. Let's unpack the first one, which what happens when the person walks into the facility? Now, I, I realize people listening to this, some people might have a sales team or a salesperson. Um, for other people's situation, it is the person at the front desk. And that could have an advantage, um, believe it or not, and you got to think about what happened the first time you walked into a gym. That walk from the car through the front door could be the longest and scariest walk that individual has ever taken. And, you know, we, we all know the experience where we go to sales trainings and they take us through this perfect script of what happens when the person comes through the front door. And, you know, you make eye contact and you smile and all of these boxes that you're ticking, and then magically you have a very receptive member, and you go to do that on your very first day, and somebody walks through the front door, and you're so excited, and you run up to them, like, listen, I gotta get out of here. I got my dog in the car. It's like Noosa in like January. So it's so hot, my dog is dying, the windows are rolled up, my dog's gonna be dead in 10 seconds, 10, nine, eight, five seconds to death. And it's like, oh my God, this is not what I was trained for. And you start fumbling all over the place because your process and your script just fell apart because you were focusing on what you needed to do rather than where is that person emotionally that causes that response right now. And in some cases, you know what? They really do have the dog in the car. Really, they are a bad pet owner or really they're in and they just want to grab something and run out. But I would say 99% of the time, that is a defensive tactic because they don't want to get beat up and they do not yet trust you. And they are terrified because what they're doing is a very big deal. And anytime you do something that's potentially life-changing, you have ambivalence. So whatever your opening statement is, and some health clubs, it's like, you know, what brought you into the club today? And some operators hate that question because they think, one, it's, it's self-serving and duplicitous. Other people have told me, well, that's pointing out the obvious. I mean, they're not there for a pepperoni pizza, are they? Other people prefer, you know, what can I help you achieve? And both of those, that's fine. It's an opening statement. I think what's really important is what happens next. Now, I'm not going to go into intention because we went into that on the last podcast, and that is a critical preliminary state of mind to be in for anything I'm going to talk about today to work. But I think 
from the perspective of the team member, you got to align yourself with what's going on with the member. What are their fears? And rather than trying to overcome it, or, or rather than trying to sidestep it, which I think is disrespectful, I like to confront it. So after you give your initial, initial statement, whatever that is in your facility, one of the things that I've always found very effective is to bring up what they're thinking. Well, Mel, thank you for coming in. You know, I'd love to show you the facility, have a little bit of a conversation with you, given whatever time constraints you have. It'll only take a couple of minutes, maybe 10, 15. Does that work for you? And bring up the question on your mind. And that is, Mel, we're a little bit different here. And I'm going to tell you what those differences are. Our members joined specifically because of those differences, yet we're not for everybody. And everybody is not necessarily for us. So if I can take, again, just 10 minutes of your time, I'd like to have a little bit of a conversation and just determine with you whether or not this place is right for you or you're right for us. And at the end of that conversation, I'll give you a couple of decisions, a couple of choices you can make. And no matter what choice you make, we'll give you resources, whether you decide to become a member or whether you want to go check out other facilities that you can take with you. But we take results very seriously. A lot of our business comes from referrals. So we, our success is invested in your success. So I just want to arrive at a decision. Whatever decision you make is fine with us, but arrive at a decision at the end of the conversation. Is that fair? Now think about what that does for a second. You walk into any other health club and they're super excited. I remember the very first walk-in I ever took. This is going back decades ago. And I kept on reading that sales is a transfer of enthusiasm. As a matter of fact, the last four letters, enthusiasm stands for I am sold myself. So I thought, wow, I'm very enthusiastic to begin with. I'm just going to be so enthusiastic. And I walk up to the member. And as I'm walking up to her, she puts her hand out, like, like stops me dead cold in the middle of the facility and says, get me someone else. You are way too full on for me. I didn't know what to say. So my brain just like fell to the floor right at that moment. I had no response. And I was thinking about what I could do. And you got to think about this. There are two intentions. One intention is in order to. The other intention is in service of. And no matter how I spun that in my head, my intention at that moment with that member was in order to. I was being enthusiastic in order to connect with her and get her to be enthusiastic in order to, in order to, in order to, and you know where this goes. It's like somebody sits down, turns to the person at the bar next to him, hey, can I buy you a drink? Think about the intention. Is that in service of or in order to? And I think just to get back to the last podcast, anytime you're thinking in service of, you're on the right track because you're truly connecting. So whatever a reasonable fear is that comes up, address that because they're expecting to be beat up. They're expecting to be persuaded. They're expecting to be hard sold. And you're stopping them and saying, no, no, you know what? I don't even know if you're right for us. We're a very distinct culture. Our members love us for that fact, but not everyone does. And that's okay. So whatever you decide, we're going to give you tools and resources where you're going to be better off leaving here no matter what you decide to do. But let's just have a conversation and we'll arrive at a decision. 
and then you direct it to an agreement that a decision is what the expectation is for that conversation. So you just lower sales resistance, you break their preoccupation, you do something completely unexpected, and you set the terms for the conversation you're about to have. Does that make sense? It does, Bobby. And I'm just listening to you, and I'm just going to throw a couple of objections your way. What about those team members that just don't want to say what you're saying? You know, going out there and saying to somebody, well, maybe the club is not for you. I mean, there'd be a lot of club owners out there now going, oh, my God, I, I, I can't have my team going out there saying to somebody that walks through the door, maybe our club's not for you. I get where you're coming from, and I totally mm-hmm. agree with it because not every club suits everybody. And I'll even go as far as saying sometimes prospective members walk in and I say to myself, you're not for my club. And, you know, I would love to have a team that felt um, – confident to say that I just wonder how many other club owners would actually encourage that so how do we get our team members to say to people you know we are unique we may not suit you and feel confident saying that maybe even lose a sale out of it well a couple of things one is it true if nothing in that statement is true you probably shouldn't say it and that's that's a well-founded fear and then it, it but, but then you got to ask yourself, if that statement isn't true, that you are distinctly different within your marketplace, that you truly are there with the intention of leading that person to a decision, you got to ask yourself the question, would you buy a membership from you? Would you walk into a, would you walk into a, a used car lot and have somebody approach you and have no interest in who you are? what you're struggling with, what negative experiences you've had purchasing a car in the past, what you need the car for, what your sense of identity is, how that car fits in to who you are, what your needs are, the emotional state you want to be in, and they're sensitive to the fact that you are there for a reason, but you're just going to have a no-pressure conversation where you're the center focus, not selling the car and not the dealership. Would you be more motivated to buy a vehicle from someone who's duplicitous and is committed to nothing but their own needs? Or would you rather be with someone who is more inquisitive, who is more professional and empathetic in the way that they craft the buying experience so you can have what you truly want in a way that's most valuable to what it is your goals, needs, and financial abilities dictate? Who would you rather buy from? And if you're not showing up as that, why would you expect anyone to buy anything from you at all? I totally agree with you. I mean, everybody, every time we go and buy something, it's got to be about the value and and what's in it for me, irrespective of what the product is. So I'm just going to take a step back there. That means in order for our teams to deliver this way, we need to change their mindset which means that we need to change the mindset of the club owner so that they can train their sales team or their multitasker on the front desk to think like this and to deliver when people walk through the door. Now, in order to do that, that means that we need our gym owners to be different and not to replicate what all the other clubs are doing in in their area. Because if you mystery shop different clubs, everybody says the same thing. 
Everybody talks about, mm -hmm. you know, the prices. We have the best prices. We have these classes. We have this gym equipment. I couldn't care less about that. And I think it's pretty poor that club owners are selling on price because to me that's desperation. They should be selling on their uniqueness. And the only way that they're going to get that message across is if they train their sales team to deliver the same information. Am I on the right path? Well, that's got to be a rhetorical question because clearly <laughs> you're on the right path. And, you know, another question we have to ask ourselves is, why does every member bring up price? And the, the reflexive response that's tempting is because price is a critical concern. And it's you got to be fair. You know, there's a certain percentage of the population that even though they walked into your facility, depending on where they are within the change process, they might be just asking questions. And price might be not an objection, but an actual condition so it, it's not something that they can actually afford and and there's a certain percent of the population that falls into that category like you know you have somebody who wants to take piano lessons and they object to it because they don't want to versus a condition is where somebody doesn't have any fingers i know that's a horrible example as <laughs> saying it out loud but that is a condition there's nothing you can do about that. However, I think the reason why price comes up so much now is because we throw them into a sea of sameness, just like you mentioned, and they are drowning. Every single facility you go to, the tour is the same, and there are exceptions, but they're few and far in between, and they say the same thing. We're motivated. We support you. We care about you. Our trainers are certified. No shit. I mean, do you ever walk into a facility and say, look, I got to be honest with you, Mel. We're really hoping you join, but we don't want you to come back because then we can fill the club with as many members as possible just as long as they're not active members. And our trainers, these guys are idiots. We don't even know where we hired them from. And I don't really think any of them are certified. So, of course, you're going to say that. That's pointing out the obvious. But saying something and demonstrating something are two different things. Demonstration beats conversation every single time. And demonstration starts with every facet and nuance of the experience from the time they walk into your facility, what happens at the front desk, what happens through the sales process, and every single point of contact within the life cycle of that customer. So, Bobby, let me ask you this. Have we, as, as the club owner, have we conditioned our own members on conditioning themselves so that it is all about price? Well, if everything's the same, then what else are you going to talk about? If you push people into a position where the price is the only differentiating factor, it's going to come up constantly and they're going to go for the lowest price. Like there's a couple of health clubs in my area. Of course, price is a concern for me because to me, they all seem exactly the same. So obviously I don't want to pay more for something that's the same, but show me something that's a little bit distinct and price is no longer an issue. Think about it this way. People can't afford $40, $50, $60. Well, how many of those people go out to see a film every single week, have a date night with their partner? So you do that. That's 
$5 per ticket. Now, if you want to grab a drink after, that's an excess of your monthly membership dues every single week. So why would somebody go out and frivolously, and I don't mean frivolously as that's not important. Date nights are really important. It's not, it's not a value judgment. But frivolously in, in, in this context means without even thinking about it, they spend in an excess of their monthly membership dues weekly because they enjoy that experience and they know exactly what it is they're getting. So uh, it, it, people yeah. are not sensitive to high price. They are sensitive to low value. All right. So what we need to do is we need to educate these club owners, whether they're independent or they're franchises, that they need to be unique, they need to be different. And therefore, they're going to stand out in their community. We then need to train our sales teams or our multitask people behind the desk to sell our product and to create a, a, a selling procedure where we're pointing out the things that make us different within our community. Now, let's go to the next stage. I come through. I come through the club, and I've got three or four um, unique selling points in my club. Do you recommend that the person doing the tour points these out? Or do they just stay in one spot and speak to them? Because I've done a few mystery tours and, and I've been um, I've been taken around the club and shown stuff that I haven't even been asked about. Uh, I've just been <laughs> I've just been stood at the front desk like I'm ordering fish and chips at the takeaway shop and I haven't gone past the front desk. So tell me, what is the ideal situation for somebody to do a tour? Well, I don't think there's an ideal situation, but there are non-ideal situations. And I think the first thing you're talking about, Mel, you're speaking to transference and relevance. How does this transfer to what I want to achieve and how relevant is this, not only to my goals, but to me as an individual? So, Mel, do you like swimming? No, I hate swimming. I had a horrible accident when I was a kid. Never go near water. Great, let me show you the pool. Yeah, uh, that's probably not going to be a really great tour for the person. Or, like you talked about, I'm standing around like I just walked into a chippy and there's nobody there who could be asked. And that happens so often. The other day, it happened to me at this place. I eat lunch at this place constantly. And I was waiting around for an excess of five minutes. And finally, you know, the, the guy who was preparing the food, I looked at him. I said, well, is this a bad time? Should I come back later? And the guy looked at me and said, well, yeah. I was like, are you serious? He couldn't even go to the back and say, um, we've got like an actual customer um, in the front. And that company is probably going to take a look at hard data and say, wow, you know what? Maybe people are price sensitive. Maybe we need to run a, a lunch special, give away a free soup. Meanwhile, they're missing the experiential nuances that are really costing them business. I have a friend of mine who is the head of training for a major health club chain, and he joined a gym that he doesn't work for, for reasons I think we can all relate to. And when he walked in, he was just standing around. Nobody would help him. And people were sitting there at their desk, and they weren't with another member. They weren't with a guest, and nobody could be asked to take the time. And he's sitting there saying, wow, you know what? We never talk about this at meetings, but how many times does that happen to someone? And by the time you finally get someone to take you on the sales process, you already don't feel welcome. Your fears are exacerbated. Your sense of social anxiety is intensified, not mitigated. What do you think the likelihood of that experience resulting in a sale is going to be? And we look at everything else other than the experience, except for when, when we're going out to buy something. 
then the experience reigns supreme. But as soon as we go from consumer into the role of operator or salesperson, we forget everything that's important to us, the things that make us feel safe, the things that piss us off, the things that motivate us, and the things that turn us off from that perspective. Okay, so how are we going to overcome this? Well, first thing is, like I said in the last podcast, intention. You've got to have an intention that's on that member's best interest. Number two, you can't be full of shit in the tour. If you're saying that you're different, if you're saying you care, if you are telling this person essentially, hey, you need to invest with us, you need to consider partnering with us on this journey because your results are as important to us as it is to you and you really don't talk about it. So every single meeting where you sit down and you role play is on overcoming the money objection, but you never role play. How do I assess a need? How do I fulfill a need? And how do I lead somebody to a decision? You know, what continuing education program are our trainers going through? Who does quality control in group X? Because it's one of the most important departments in your facility, bar none. And you're not talking about this stuff. Would you buy from you? And if the answer is, I don't know, or a definitive no, why would you expect someone else to? So we talked about one need, which is, hey, you're not going to be beat up here. We're just going to have a conversation, then we're going to make a decision. Now, ask yourself this question. Do you really believe that if what you were saying and the experience you provide is congruent, somebody would say, oh, my God, wow, they mentioned not working out here. I'm going to go leave. I'm going to go check out tons of other clubs that I'm scared shitless of walking into because the person is too empathetic, the pressure is too low, and the value is too high. I'm out of here. Really? That makes absolutely no sense. The next three things that you've got to focus on is urgency, support system, and time. Because outside of the money, because money is a value proposition. So we don't bring that up early because we've not built any value. So any price is too high when there's no value to be weighed against it. But in the beginning, it's also what about urgency? What about a support system? What about time? So not what are you going to achieve within the next year, because that's very scary for people, especially in the early phases of change. A, a better question might be, so Mel, what do you want to see change about yourself in the next 30 days? And, and bring up what the obstacles are, because if you don't bring them up, guess what? The member's going to bring them up. They're either going to bring them up explicitly or more often implicitly where this is what's going on in the back of their mind. We always ask a question or, or a lot of health clubs ask a question. And the root of this question comes from Rolnick and Miller and motivational interviewing. And it's a brilliant question. And I'm sure you've asked it as well, Mel. So how long have you been thinking about making this change? How long have you been thinking about coming into the club and what happened? What's prevented you from doing so? And then we go into a sales question where the real question is, what's going to be different this time? So how long have you been thinking about visiting us? What gets in the way? And what's going to be different this time rather than, well, let me show you how we're going to overcome that or launching right into a closed-ended tie-down question which is basically where you put on a cape and play the role of Captain Obvious. And that's kind of insulting because when you ask questions like that, where you direct people to their own solutions, not only are you respecting the fears and apprehensions that they have coming in, but you're also facilitating change talk. 
Now, I, I think some of the problems we get into within any sales process and within you know tour is we don't really understand the different types of conversations that arise because we're so focused on what we need to have occur that we're not engaged and present enough to be focused on what's actually happening with the guest. So there's three types of talk, right? And you can think of this as red light, yellow light, green light. So resistance talk, where they push back. Well, I don't have the time. Or, you know, I got to go home and ask. Clearly, that's a red light. You can't go forward in the conversation until you address that. But here's where things get confusing. We misinterpret yellow lights for red lights, where somebody says something to the effect of, well, you know, I guess I could get into the gym three days a week, but, you know, I've got to pick up the kids from school. So, you know, my schedule is not really predictable. I don't know how that's going to. So they throw out a comment that you, you interpret, hey, they're ready. But then the second they throw out a comment about what they need to do, there's an excuse or there's a constraint, a real constraint that they bring up about why they can't move forward. And very often we jump into selling at that point where what we should be jumping into is solving because they're not yeah. ready yet because change talk occurs when somebody brings up a need and inside their own conversation is a solution for that specific problem. That's an indicator that they're ready to move ahead. So urgency, a support system, positive accountability is another critical fear that we have to confront. So in other words, who's most, who in your life is most supportive of your goals? And how would you most like them to actively support you moving forward? Have they done that in the past? And who else or what other support do you feel you need if this decision is going to be right for you? Now, in that conversation, I totally addressed and I preemptively confronted, I have to go home and ask my whatever, spouse, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, before it ever even came up. And how many times did I mention the club? Did I talk about what type of equipment we have? Did I talk about the cardio deck? Did I talk about Group X? The only thing I talked about was the guest and relevance. That's it. So, and, and the other one, of course, is time. You know, how many times a week do you plan on working out? And, you know, this is where we set an expectation, but then put the commitment on them. So in the first 30 days, this is arguably now the most critical yeah. because this is when your body's most adaptable to training and even more important than the adaptation to training, it's where you form critical habits that serve you long term. So think of it this way. What you do daily determines who you become permanently and it's important to get the most out of each workout. How many days a week do you see yourself exercising? Let them answer and then talk about commitments outside the gym. So the days you don't come into the gym, what are some of the ways that you can add physical activity to make it habitual? And a lot of people don't want to talk about what people are doing outside of the gym because they think somehow it'll deter people from joining a gym, just the opposite. The more confident this person is, if at any point in the tour, they say to themselves, I think I can do this, you are winning. And winning is not something that you do independently. It's cooperatively. You only win when they win, period. Love it, love it. So tell me something, Bobby. How many clubs are doing this effectively across the states, do you think? 
I don't have a, I don't have a stat, but I can tell you very few. Yeah. I know specifically a few dozen who are, and what they tell me is that the results since that they've been working on a more customer centered coaching based sales process, the results they have gotten have been extraordinary. They've moved the needle 10 upwards of 20% in their closing ratios because they don't tour the same. They, they don't greet the same and they do not close the same. I'll, I'll give, I'll, I'll give you a really brief example from the training side. When you're asking someone to make a personal training-based decision, man, is it harder because you're asking for a lot more of a financial decision. You're asking for a commitment to a relationship and a process and all the messy interpersonal dynamics that come along with change, and you're accountable to somebody. And you've got to prove yourself because there's no point of differentiation between the seller and the service person. And when we started using something at PTA Global, that's a company I co-founded quite a long time ago, I created a tool called the PDQ, the Program Design Questionnaire, and it uses questions from different factors of behavior change, and it leads someone towards a series of decisions culminating in the decision whether or not to purchase personal training. And I've heard, I've heard multiple people tell me that they've increased their closing ratio by over 30%. Think about that. You see 10 people as a trainer and every three to four people buy personal training from you. That is extraordinary. And, I, and we didn't teach overcoming price objections. We, we didn't teach any of the conventional sales methodologies that people use. And some of those are quite good, to be fair. But what we focused on and the reason why this was absolutely so effective is because it was focused 100% on value and the ambivalence and the fears and helping people overcome that. It focuses on what I call the core four, which is what their core values are, what their core behaviors are, their core beliefs, and their core outcomes that they want to facilitate. And if you focus on those core four factors, you have a highly influential sales process. All right, so, sorry, keep going. Go no, I said, I said, you also asked me a question about the tour, like what happens on the tour. And I, I just wanted to talk about that a little bit. Absolutely, go for it. Because the question is, should you tour? Of course you should tour. But I think the conventional tour is pointing out the obvious and it's a little bit obsolete. When I go to a restaurant, like last night, I went out to eat. I didn't ask to see the stove. Or when I go to a hotel... I don't demand that they prove to me that they've got a bed in every room. I don't worry about that stuff because I kind of assume they've got it. You know, so when I go to a gym, you know, yes, do I want to walk through the locker room? Probably because I want to make sure it's not disgusting. You know, I've been through some locker rooms where I could die in here and be happy, where, where the locker room looked like a five-star hotel. And I've walked through other locker rooms that are absolutely shocking. However, I kind of assume you've got toilets and you've got lockers in your facility. I kind of assume you've got weights, you've got machines. I kind of assume that you've got treadmills. You know, d- does everybody know the difference between a dumbbell and a kettlebell or a viper? Maybe, maybe not, but I don't think that is the primary interest. 
you know, but we don't, we, we seldom ask people, well, what are you most interested in using in the facility? We tell them, and you brought this up, you know, we show them, you know, points of differentiation that we think are amazing, but we never ask, how do you want to use the club? And with IOM, the Institute of Motion, the way we look at a facility, I mean, think about it, right? Everybody has a goal, something they want to accomplish, and an experience through which that achievement is going to be filtered. So you can technically say the only thing we sell is transformational experiences. Now, no matter what that looks like, there are four quadrants within our facility. There's resistance training, some form of that, which is usually they're, they're dealing with external load, they're moving linearly, they're using selectorized equipment. We have some form of cardio that people are doing, whether that's a group exercise class or whether that's running on a treadmill. Um, we have mobility type of work, however that shows up. And then we would have loaded type of movement training, which we would call, let's say, functional training. So can you think of any type of exercise that falls outside of those four quadrants? Because I cannot. And when you look at the, at the club, that's what I do. I'll give you, I'll give you a, a brief story about what happened years ago when I was forced to go into sales, I was a trainer and then I was a training manager and I was told, well, you need to learn the whole business. We're going to put you into sales. And I said the same thing that every single trainer or fitness-based person has said, I don't sell, I help people. As if leading someone to the initial decision that could change the entire course of their life and create a future that would not occur otherwise is somehow not helping someone. Well, you're definitely not hurting someone. So getting someone to purchase and use a membership successfully, not purchase, but purchase and successfully utilize a membership, in my opinion, is one of the most altruistic responsibilities we have as fitness professionals. But what I was saying by I help people is I don't want to be measured. I'm scared that I won't be good at this and my reputation will suffer. That was my real concern. And the owner of the company at, at the time, someone who I was very close with, said, don't worry about it. We're going to put so many resources into you. You're going to be the best salesperson this company has ever had. And he went around and told everybody else that. Now, what do you think that did to my performance, Mel? <laughs> it didn't help it because I nearly collapsed under pressure. And he gave me books and he gave me audio programs. He sent me to seminars. I got more training than the entire department. And um, I would say about two months into it, I was called into his office. And the sales manager at that time, a guy named Brian, he was one of these individuals, you know those people in the club that you work with, and as soon as you see their face, you can't help but smile. You know those types of yes, people, Mel? Yes, yes, yes. Brian was one of those people for me, and I was one of those people for him. And I sat down in the office, and Brian was there, and Brian wasn't smiling. So I started <laughs> getting very nervous, and the owner just said, hey, hey, Bob, how do you think you're doing in your new role? Well, that was a rhetorical question. We both knew I was a bit of shit. So <laughs> I was getting really nervous. And he said, you know, what do you think your, uh, your closing ratio is? And um, I knew what it was. So I responded with, 
I don't know, bad? And he said, well, no, it's not bad at all. Um, it's probably a little bit worse than that. And my closing ratio was about 10% now. 10%. I mean, that's so bad that if somebody walked into the gym and I did not take them on a tour, and I just said, hey, Mel, have a look around. You know, I don't really care what you decide, but yes or no, just come back, tell me what you think. I probably would have closed more people with that sales process than basically doing what I was doing. And he says to me, you know, we can't afford to keep you in this position and we can't put you back in management because your position's already been filled. You've got to go back to being a trainer. And it, it, this, was, this was one of the first times where I thought, wow, I, I might be good doing something or have an interest in the arts because I gave an Academy Award-winning performance. I tried my best to look really disappointed. I was so excited that I was out of sales. Absolutely so excited. But then something happened. You know, I knew how to tour now. And I, I didn't really need to make a sale. If somebody purchased the membership or didn't, couldn't care less. Um, you know, if somebody decided not to, to buy a membership, nobody would know. Nobody expected me to sell a membership or not sell a membership. And my reputation wasn't at stake. And I had no vested consequences either way. But I was someone who got into fitness because I grew up physically deformed. I had such a severe facial deformity that I scared people. They would just look at me and, and try to figure out like how to compose themselves. That was me. So I didn't want anyone who was ever overweight, who ever felt ashamed or who ever felt helpless, and they didn't know how to change the course of their life by changing some of the physical outer aspects of their body. I didn't want them to suffer. So I was very emotionally invested in people's transformation. And every person I spoke to, I would tour them, no longer like the Hollywood Studios tour. Well, we got weights over there, treadmills over there. I remember one of the things we said is we had 40,000 pounds worth of free weights. Well, somebody going to use that all at once? Who cares? <laughs> really? I, and yeah. I, would, I would start to treat the tour like a virtual workout. I would start to tour them the way a trainer and a coach would tour them. And I would not push them towards a sale, but lead them to a decision. I would even go so far as to tell them, look, I think we are the best facility in the area. That's why I'm here. However, there are a couple, if, if this is not right for you, there are a few facilities I would stay away from, and there are a few facilities that I would absolutely check out because they're kind of second best. And I'll tell you which ones these are. I'll stay in touch with you. I'll even help you make that decision. And when you have someone who is so absolutely conspicuously invested in your best interests, do you think that that hurt my ability to close? I went on to become a very effective quote unquote closer. So as my career progressed with membership sales, it wasn't like 10%, 20%, it was more over 70% because no longer was I choking on my own insecurity and apprehension and sense of urgency. 
but I was directing all of my focus, intention, skill sets, and processes towards helping people have what they want. So when you come into the facility and I say to you, you know, to answer your question, what's most important to you now? What part of the facility are you looking to utilizing most? You're going to say to me one of those four things I mentioned. So respond to that any way you want. So really your, your, your success came from your passion. That's what you're really saying, isn't it? It came from not only my passion, but my focus. Yeah. Passion without a system, passion without a process is not going to really get you anywhere. You kind of need both. But if I said to somebody, so what part of the facility are you most interested in using? And they said, well, cardio, you know, <laughs> I didn't then go, go and say, well, you know, cardio is not by itself an effective means of helping you lose weight. I would just say, well, what's most important to you about the cardio? Is it the result you're getting or is, do you just basically like that activity? And I would find out what are they looking to do? And most of the time, people are looking to do one of three things, right? They're looking to either build strength and build muscle. They're looking to burn fat or they're looking to improve performance, whether that's an activity just of daily living, recreational, or competitive sport. Make sense? So if they would say, well, you know, anything, well, I, I want to lose weight, I wouldn't contradict them. I wouldn't judge them. I wouldn't take them over to other parts of the facility. I would simply go, wow, you know what? Cardio is a great choice because it helps improve fat metabolism. That's amazing. So do you use the treadmill consistently or do you kind of mix it up? So what type of cardio would you say you use most often? Some say, well, I use the treadmill. Well, that's a great mode of cardio. You know, if you're using the treadmill two to three times a week, has anybody ever customized a mobility program for you? Because any type of activity you do repetitively, it creates tightness and weakness, and that affects the rate at which you lose fat. You know, did you know that a customized flexibility program helps accelerate fat loss? Well, let me take you over there and show you our flexibility section of the gym. And then I would just lead through all four of those quadrants. So by the time I was done with the tour, I put together a whole virtual program for that individual. So what they had was a program. And then I, I took them through each phase of training that we go through that you experience. And I even had them fill out the days of the week that they plan to use the facility. And each step in the process was just a micro decision, micro decision, micro decision, micro decision. So it was a series of trial closes. So rather than asking them to make one big decision on membership, because it's not about membership, is it? It's about transformation. It's about going from the person you are today to the person you most want to be. That's scary. That's where a lot of the objections and ambivalence comes from. I didn't do that. I got them to say yes to multiple micro decisions. So for me, the close was just confirming and wrapping up all the things they already agreed to up until that point. Much easier than one big lump sum decision at the end. Wouldn't you agree? So let me confuse you a little bit with what I'm about to say. So from you listening Not to <laughs> So from you listening to the consumer, you 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 learnt about them. So by stopping by listening, you learnt and therefore you're able to take the, the consumer through a process that when they listened they were hearing what they wanted to hear. 
So that's how I look at that. You, you listened, you stopped, you listened to the consumer, you learnt about the consumer, you were then able to reverse your conversation into telling them what they wanted to hear so that therefore they were going to get the results that they wanted, correct? That's the short of it. Well, I don't tell people what they want to Not, hear. You don't tell them what they want to hear, but if I came to you and you were listening to me and I was just talking to you about... Um, you know, I like group fitness, I like group fitness. So you're going to learn a little bit about me. And so therefore the conversation becomes about me. Is that not right? Conversation is always about you. That's exactly right. So Because as a guest, what else could you possibly exactly, care about in that's the moment? That's it. That's it. So therefore, whilst the conversation is about the, the consumer, it then sort of moves on to a pathway where you're starting to have a discussion with them about you know, achieving their results, not necessarily just giving them the sale, yeah, 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 you're going to get what you want. You're, you're basically telling them, you know, enjoy what you're doing. Um, you, you come to the club X amount of times a week and we're going to help you to go, you know, where you want to go. That's the short of it in layman's terms. But the most mm -hmm. important part of it is that we need to listen to learn and once we start to, to learn what's going on with our consumer, then we're able to communicate with them better in order for them to get the results. Now, this is where it's going to get tricky. Let's, let's stop for a moment as a salesperson and let's become the gym owner. If the gym owner stops for a moment and listens to what the experts in the industry are telling them, which is be unique, be different, don't replicate others, and they learn a little bit more about themselves and their business, do you think that they would be able to follow these tools that you're giving us today in their club a little bit better? Well, if they want to. And, and that's the key, if they want to. I completely understand someone operating from fear of loss. We are more sensitive, not just as members and exercisers, but gym owners as well. We're more sensitive to loss than we are to gain. And what you got to understand is the things that need to be changed because we're, we're in an environment where it's distinction versus extinction. And while that's scary, nobody is asking anyone to change every aspect of how they operate. You're not changing the layout of your entire facility. What you're changing is a focus between what you do and what that other individual most wants and needs. And not just saying that and building that into a, a linearly directed monologue, but you're training people to have a real conversation. Now, here's something that came up in, now, I can't mention any of these companies I talk about, but it was one of these offsite meetings and it was for a, I'll just say a major company. Everybody knows who this player is. And somebody was observing a, um, a, a membership consultant taking a guest through the facility. And at this point in time, you had a script and you said that script word for word, no matter what. And the guest got very upset, not at the script, got very frustrated with the fact that she felt she was trying everything and nothing was working for her. 
she had a level of connection and safety and therefore vulnerability with this salesperson. And she started to tear up. And at that point, the salesperson stopped the tour, sat down, like, like, you know, those plyo boxes, Yeah. there were two of them. She, they were stacked. She took one off of the top, gave it to the member, sat down on the guest and sat down on the other one and had a human to human conversation, not a salesperson to a prospect, a human being to another human being and shared her experiences with that person and empathized and connected with and related to. Now, she totally went off script. She violated the process that she was trained in, and the person went ahead and bought a membership. And there was, there was someone who was very high up in the company who was touring the facility, and the salesperson knew who this, this guy was, and she was a little bit nervous that she had gotten into trouble. What she had done was showed this person like what vulnerability does and put questions in his mind about the scripts that they were being told to follow because they would choke. I believe in structure. I believe in systems. I have a system and a process for everything. It's directed, however, not scripted. So that's the type of change and shift we're asking people to make. Identify not what you have, but what that person wants. Is that is it scary? Yeah, right. But you know, if you think change is scary, you should try irrelevance. I agree. I like those words. I really, really do. I'm sort of I'm stuck for words at the moment because I just think it's so so important when. We're meeting with new people in our club. It is to have a human conversation with them. I, I really feel deep down inside that it's really insulting to follow a script. And I think direction is good. I like how, how you say, you know, have direction. But I think um, more and more people just need to humanize themselves and, and remember that at the end of the day, we are all humans and we should be treating each other the same mm -hmm. and not as a commodity, you know, a dollar sign. And yep. I, I think the problem, Bobby, is, you know, you said right at the very start of that about, about losing. Club owners are already losing. Don't be in fear of it. You are already losing because you've put yourself in a position where you're not unique anymore and you've put yourself in a position where it is just about the dollar sign and you've lost your human touch and you're now competing in a world where it, to you it really is just about paying your rent and paying your wages and you've mm -hmm. forgotten why that you're you've become club owners and I think that if people just take a really big step back and just for a moment just stop and just say let's just look at the big picture here and the big picture is we all have needs that that need to be met club owners you know they they have needs that have to be met and but so do the people that come into the club and I think if they just take a step back and start to to meet those needs a little bit more with human touch be a little bit more real not be so manufactured and, and fabricated in what they're doing, then we wouldn't have mm -hmm. so many gym owners panicking at this time of the year. Um, I think if sales teams became more 
as you said, you know, have more human conversations and really just stop back and think about why they entered the fitness industry, why they joined a gym and used those reasons and, and replicated them when they're talking to people, then we would probably have a whole lot more people globally exercising. We'd have a whole lot more people um, healthy and well, and we'd have a whole lot lesser gym owners in a panic state. Mel, I, I don't even want to get on my soapbox about all the ways that the fitness industry raises our own barrier to entry. And I don't, you know, I don't want to be critical because there are a lot of operators out there that are amazing. There are a lot of people talk about, well, trainers need to do this and trainers aren't. I know trainers that are the most educated, empathetic, dynamic, beautiful human beings I've ever met. Are they the majority? Sadly, no. I mean, the top people in any industry are the top people in an industry because they're unique. Now, is our objective to get everybody to the level of a top performer? That might not be sustainable, but we can all do a little bit better by modeling ourselves off of people that know how to get the results and have gotten the results that we most want to produce. And not to promote anyone, but you have someone who's a friend of yours closely working with you in your network, Michael. He's going to be on our panel that we're going to do very soon. You know, Cam is another person who comes from a very altruistic, outwardly ambitious, customer, member-centered perspective. You've got Dr. Roy Sugarman, who's probably one of the top neuroscientists in the world, right there in Melbourne, Australia. So there are people out there who understand behavior change, and they understand that an indispensable prerequisite of behavior change is empathy. So there's who you're being, there's the tools that you use on the tour, and then there's exactly what to do, the process. Like if you've, it, it's not apparent if you've listened to this so far, you know, the process is one, intention in the greeting. Number two, anticipate all of the fears and apprehensions that people have and bring that up first. One was, if you remember, they're just trying to sell me something. Well, go ahead and start an interaction and a greeting that completely obliterates that expectation and blows right through their preoccupation by being very, very different. Not in what you say, but who you're being. A sense of urgency, address that. Address time, address support, address all of the fears that they have up front. Then when you're actually going on the tour, pre-tour conversation is about having a real discussion. Now, real is a process. It's an acronym that stands for R, what do they really want? E, what is the evidence? So in other words, when they have what they really want, what's going to be different in their life? How are they going to feel different? What are they going to be doing that they currently don't do or haven't done for a long time now? And the flip side of that is what's the evidence for why this is important from a loss perspective? What are you losing by not having what you really want? What do you wish you could do, but you can't? What memories do you want to create, but you don't? Who do you want to be at home, socially, on the job, recreationally, that you're not? And then A, go through an assessment of context. So in other words, who else or what else that is most important to you in your life is affected the second you achieve 
the goals that you've set for yourself and constraints. What has stopped you from having that in the past? How did you handle that? How do you respond to that? And what makes this time different? Not what we're going to do. What are you going to do this time to ensure your success? And then after you go through that assessment of context and constraints, it's your job is not to sell them a membership. It's to lead them to a decision. So think about, think about this, right? If you were going to say, what are three things people do? Join the tour. Well, they inspire people to act on their goals. What's ACT? That's another acronym. You assess a need, you confirm a solution, and then you lead them to taking action. So if you've assessed a series of needs, you've confirmed that you know that they know the solution, and you have the resources in your facility to provide that solution, and they've agreed to take action on five separate things within the conversation. At the end, why... Why would they then say, no, but I want to do it someplace else? So the membership becomes a side effect, a, a consequence of the decision. Does that make sense? Yes. Definitely. So what are we afraid of? We're afraid that if we take care of people too well, they'll go to our competitors, say $3 a month. That if we create too much value, they'll walk. If we're too empathetic. <laughs> if we have too much rapport, this is this is ridiculous. That's fear-based thinking in the absence of concrete evidence. Show me the evidence that value puts people off. Because I can show you a lot of evidence to the contrary. And you don't need to be a gym owner. All you need to be is a consumer. Think about all the stuff that has put you off made you apprehensive, enraged you, made you feel insignificant, that you don't belong and been uninspired. And it's simple. Don't do that shit to anyone else. Love it. Love it. You know that you and I could talk for a lot longer on this subject. Yeah, we, we didn't even get into the clothes, We did didn't we? even get into the clothes, <laughs> Bobby. And I know that you're getting on a plane shortly. Oh. Yeah, I love to talk about the clothes. Because one thing I want to get across is I love the clothes because of what it represents. You have not sold someone a membership. You have led them to the decision to take the very first step in doing something they've never done before and therefore becoming someone they've never been before. That's not only exciting. That's a moral responsibility. So I, I love the clothes. I want to talk about the clothes. But, we're, but out of time. we are out of time, but we'll do the clothes next time. So what? just before you go, just before you go, I think uh, everybody's got some amazing, amazing education out of your podcast today. I know I have, and I always love chatting to you. And I know that um, you and I will definitely do part three on the close. And we'll just remind our listeners that we've got an amazing panel podcast coming um, around about the second week of January after the Christmas New Year break that you're a part of uh, with Robert and with Michael. So that's very, very exciting. Bobby, all I can say is on behalf of myself and everybody listening today, thank you very, very much for your time. Um, I Thanks, love listening Mel. to you. Thank you. Um, you know, 
I have to keep reiterating to the guys, please jump on Bobby's website and check out all his information on this. There's some really cool stuff. If you're not on his Facebook page, you need to jump on, you need to like it. He does some daily stuff on there that will definitely get you thinking. Um, to all of the gym owners out there, whether you're an independent or you're a franchise, 2018 is definitely going to be the year for change and you need to take an absolute big leap and a big leap of faith and just have a go. And if you're not too sure, you know, get in touch with Bobby because I don't doubt for one moment he'll have some words of wisdom for you. Bobby, have an absolute amazing break. I look forward to staying in touch with you over the social media platforms over Christmas. Part 3 and the panel podcast coming in 2018. Thank you. Thanks, Mel. Thank you for joining the Gym Owners Podcast, sponsored and supported by National Fitness Business Alliance and Gym Click Media. Find Mel Tempest on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Join us next time for the Gym Owners Podcast.